So, this morning we're starting a, a new series, a new Bible series on Sunday mornings, and uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah. And so, uh, if you've got a Bible with you, you might want to try and find it. It's towards the end of the Old Testament, maybe kind of five or six books back um, from the end of the Old Testament. Uh, the book of Jonah is very small, very short. Um, but hey, maybe you know this because you've read it already. Maybe you've read the book of Jonah before. Maybe you're not a Christian and you know the book of Jonah. Perhaps you've heard of it. Perhaps you've read it um, as a child. Perhaps, uh, perhaps you've got children here. Perhaps you re- you've read it to your children. Um, there's, a, there's a picture of a few children's books uh, of, of Jonah. There we go. You might have read one of these types of children's books about Jonah. This is our copy of Jonah's story. Uh, I don't want to, it's called, the story of Jonah. Uh, it's, slightly, it's slightly better than the ones with the, the, the fish on them. Um, they've replaced it for a dog. I'm not sure why they've done that, but, but it's got a dog on it. And it's called I Don't Want To. Uh, and this story of Jonah is, is a little bit better, um, but it does end only three quarters of the way through the book. And then you don't get the end of the book. And you're left kind of thinking, oh, I don't think that's the end of Jonah. Uh, but it's a great little book to kind of get started on. Um, but, but really the sad thing about this book is that it's really kind of been turned into simply just a children's book in our culture. And it was never written as this. So this morning and over the coming um, few weeks... We're going to have to somehow put aside our view of the children's version of Jonah because that's not going to give us the full message of this book. Nowhere near. It's just a short book, four chapters, but by goodness, it packs a punch. It really does. So, don't switch off. In fact, do the opposite. Switch on. Because as leaders, we believe that God really wants to shape you and I as we explore this book, Jonah. But also, he wants to shape us as a church through this book, Jonah, as well. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next three months. So let's um, read a very short start of Jonah, just the first few verses And then I'll pray for us. So, Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Father God, we want to uh, come to you knowing that you're good, as we've been singing, knowing that you'll never let us down, knowing that we're safe and secure in you, and knowing that through your word, you want to speak to us. And so we want to ask Be with us, even this morning, 
Send your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And we ask that you would speak deep truths into our hearts, into our lives, and into this community uh, that impact us in the very ways you want to. Amen. Amen. Right. So, a few years ago, a handful of people uh, in Jubilee kind of read a book called uh, Gracism. Does anyone remember reading a book called Gracism? There might be one of the two of us that remember reading this book. It was about inclusion and about being a church of many different nations uh, and different backgrounds. And in that book, the author, uh, David Anderson, as I remember rightly, uh, recounts a story that someone told him. And it was a lady who was at an airport. And uh, she was going to go on a flight. And it was on one of these flights where it wasn't uncommon for you to have to queue to get the best seat. And you may be queuing for up to an hour to get at the front to get the best seat on the plane. And so this lady queued, like everyone else does. We all like a good queue, don't we? If we're from uh, England, we like queuing. Um, But she just queued up like everyone else did, and the queue began to build and build and build. And along came a Mexican family. And they clearly didn't quite understand the system. Uh, They were just talking loudly in Spanish and looking very confused. And so the whole queue, including her, did what often happens in those scenarios. They bunched up. They made sure there was no gaps. They made sure there was no room for anyone to get in to this queue. Because it was clear that this Mexican family didn't understand the system and they were trying to just get away into the queue, almost be absorbed. Do you know how you stand near a queue hoping to just kind of be absorbed into the queue? But these people were standing shoulder to shoulder. They weren't going to make a gap in this queue. And no one said a word, but it was clear what everyone was thinking. Stupid foreigners. Do do they not know the rules? Do they not know how things work here? This is my place. I've queued for this place to get the best seat. And then the woman felt God speaking to her. And she realised that her judgement of this family was wrong. But here's some people who were struggling to understand. They were in a foreign nation, and she was doing nothing to help them. In fact, she was doing worse. And so she could have just pointed them to the back of the queue and told them that's where they need to go, but she felt God say that she could show them a different kind of mercy, a different kind of compassion. And so she pointed to the Mexican family, and she said, come and stand in front of me. Now, whether they understood, she doesn't know her words, but they certainly understood what she meant. And the mother was so very, very grateful, she smiled as if she was going to cry. Dads and the kids kept just saying thank you and bowing their heads. And they looked so relieved. The woman said, they were so grateful, but I was so ashamed. Why did it take me so long to do the right thing. And do you know what? If we're honest, we can all be like that sometimes. We can all make judgments on people who we think are worthy of God's mercy and compassion and which people are not. 
And the same is true for Jonah. So, quick summary of Jonah. God speaks to Jonah. Jonah runs away. Jonah goes to a boat. He tries to get as far as he can. There's a massive storm. In the end, Jonah gets thrown off the boat. He tells them to throw him off the boat. He ends up in the water. An enormous fish swallows him up. He prays to God. After three days, he's vomited onto the shore. God speaks to him again. He goes to Nineveh. They repent. Jonah gets angry. He sits down under a plant that God provides. A worm eats the plant. He gets even angrier. And God asks him, why are you angry? Listen, go away and read the book over this week. But there is a quick summary of Jonah. So, who was Jonah? Well, he was a prophet of God in Israel. Uh, He was a prophet around the 8th century BC. He was from Galilee. And we know this because um, he's recorded in 2 Kings uh, 14.25, another part of the Old Testament. And he prophesied as an Old Testament prophet to Jeroboam II, who was the king, from 781 to 746 BC. Old Testament prophets brought messages from God. They spoke on God's behalf, sometimes to the people, sometimes to the rulers, to the kings and queens. But we also know that he's a prophet from the first line of this book. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. See, if you just turn over, if you've got a Bible, or turn to the next book of the Old Testament, Micah, not too far, how does Micah start? The word of the, exactly, yeah, starts the same. The word of the Lord came to Micah. So we know that Jonah was a prophet. See, similar, that's how Old Testament prophets books started. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And usually, these Old Testament prophet books are messages of the prophet. They're the words of the prophet. They're about the words of the prophet. But the book of Jonah is about the prophet. It's about his journey with God. And his journey that reveals that the God he thought he knew turns out to be very different in reality. So, how is the book of Jonah meant to be read? Because the Bible's made up of all sorts of different styles of writing, history, poetry, prophecy, letters. What do we do with Jonah? Is it meant to be read as an historical account? Because there's some bits that our our Western, uh, seemingly intellectual minds don't get. The giant fish, the worm, the fact that the whole of Nineveh turned to God suddenly. Or is it meant to be read as almost like a parable by Jonah? Of this historical man who lived writing a message for us in a different type of way. You can go away and do your own study on that, I'm sure, looking into that. But I will say this. Jonah was a real historical person. That's what it says in Two Kings. We've read it. Nineveh was a real place. The Assyrians, that's who lived in Nineveh, they were real enemies. And Jesus, the Son of God, believed Jonah existed 
and he was a prophet. And Jesus mentions him in the Gospels. And I think that can lead us to say that these events did happen. Yet, it's written in a way that it's not simply just an historical account for us to read of some events. It's written to make us stop and think. And you know what? It uses all sorts of different ways to do this. In fact, it uses all sorts of ways that mess with our brain. Think about this. Jonah, the prophet, the the man of God, runs away. The prophet is angry with God. At one point he wishes he was dead. And yet the pagans, um, the sailors and um, the Ninevites, the ones who aren't meant to know God, they show humility. They, They turn out to be kind of nice guys and they turn to God. Even the cows in Nineveh show more godliness than Jonah. And, of course, at some point we're going to have to talk about the fish incident, aren't we? See, that's what we get in the kids' books, like the ones I showed. Jonah and the whale. It doesn't even say it's a whale. And it's kind of like as if that's the important part of the book. And, look, so, so God sends a fish. When Jonah's tossed into the sea, God sends a fish to swallow Jonah and he spends three days inside this fish until he's vomited out. And before you say, look, that, that can't happen, that couldn't have happened, just remember that the whole of Christianity rests on a man who was dead, well and truly, and who God raised to life. Look, if God did that, which is a far greater miracle, sending a fish to swallow Jonah and keeping him alive for three days is not hard. It's really not. And almost in contrast to kind of fairy tales of similar times that were made up by people, um, the writer of Jonah doesn't add loads of kind of supernatural fancy stuff to make it more exciting or to make it more of a, a spectacle to us to capture our attention. Actually, he writes it very simply. It actually only appears in two verses of the book, The Fish. So, don't get sidetracked by the fish. Turn to the person next to you. I love people like this. Don't, just say to them, don't get sidetracked by the fish. The fish is not the point. Okay. But if this is the word of God for us, for all time, then there is something in this account of Jonah for you and for me. There's something here to help us see more of the beauty and glory of God. More of who you and I really are and what we're really like. And more of God's mission to this world and how he calls us into it. So, what are some of the big themes of Jonah? Well, firstly, this. God is loving and merciful. And his mercy and his love is always bigger than what we think. 
See, often we want God to be loving and merciful, but only to the people that we want him to be loving and merciful to, just like that story I started with. See, God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and take a message to them. Nineveh was in uh, modern-day Iraq. The closest city there uh, now is Mosul. You might have heard of Mosul, you might have seen it in the news, you might have heard of it. Um, That's probably the closest to where Nineveh was. And Nineveh had become the capital of the Assyrian Empire, although the capital had kind of moved around a bit. But the Assyrians were Israel's constant enemies. And do you know what? They were horrifically brutal. They would, they would intimidate nations uh, into surrender by some of their horrible, brutal behaviour. They would conquer a city and, and then they would skin all the leaders kind of alive and then they would put them out for everyone to see to show how horrible they were. Look, if you mess with us, this is what we are like. They were horrible. And and there are many kind of ancient wall panels that you can go and see of the Assyrians, um, even today, which kind of glorify some of their violent stuff. Do you know what? If they had an Instagram account, hashtag Assyrian army on tour would not be one to follow. So, Jonah going to Nineveh is kind of like if you were being parachuted into Nazi Germany in 1940 with a message for Hitler. Or if you were sent into the midst of ISIS, perhaps, in Syria with a similar message. And you know what? This message that he got is is not some kind of it's not some kind of message where God says, well, I know you're bad, and, uh, but I just want you to know that I love you and you can carry on being evil. That's not the message. In his love and mercy, God's message to them is, look, I see your, I've seen your wickedness and I hate it. And I want to tell you to change. And when they do change, how does Jonah respond? He's he's furious. That's that's why I ran away, he essentially says. See, we discover that the main reason for Jonah running wasn't primarily because he was scared. It wasn't primarily because he was lazy. But it's because he didn't want the Lord to have compassion on Nineveh. Not them. They don't deserve it. Yet, time and time again, God reveals in the Bible that that's who he is. This is what he says to Moses in Exodus 33, verse 19. He reveals himself and says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. And then 2 Kings 5, we see this wonderful story of um, uh, Naaman, this Syrian army commander general, being healed of leprosy. He's not one of the people of God, but actually God's mercy extends to him and he receives healing. 
And then in the book of Acts, we take it further into the New Testament and we see that actually uh, the Gentiles are brought into the people of God. And God reveals this by them being filled with the Spirit and part of the people of God. And we see that actually this message is not simply for one people group, but for a whole world. Because God will have mercy on whom he'll have mercy and compassion on whom he'll have compassion. Listen, are there people or places where perhaps in your heart you've decided God would not have mercy on them? God would not show them compassion? Maybe a particular people group or a nation or those people with that lifestyle or those people that worship that particular religion. Listen, that's not the message of Jesus. That's not the message of the gospel. Okay, secondly, another big theme. We all need to get right with God. So, Jonah is called to go to Nineveh. That's east. Which way does Jonah go? West, yes. He go, in fact, he goes the furthest you can go. Like, I've got a map here. Ah, my colours haven't come. Okay, so the, the middle one here is where Jonah is in Israel. And this, this star to the right, that's where Nineveh is. And most scholars believe that Jonah decided to go to Tarshish, which is all the way over here. All the way, as far as the, the known world was, that's where he was going. That's where he was running. See, when, when he realised that God was not simply the God who did everything he wanted, well, he was out of there. Isn't that a picture of sin? God says one thing, and we do the opposite. We run away. Listen, running away might not always look like what we think it does. So you can run away from God in a very public way. You can say, do you know what? Don't believe in God. Not interested. Not interested. In fact, I'm going to live as if God didn't exist very publicly. You can do it that way. Or you can run away in a very religious-looking way. You can be busy with good things. You can even be in Christian meetings. You can keep up with daily Bible readings, but in your heart, you're on the run from God. See, even by the end of the book, Jonah seemingly has been outwardly obedient. He's gone to Nineveh and taken the message, but really he's still running away from God, just in a very different way. So I want to ask, are you running away from God today? Are you doing that very publicly, or are you keeping up the seemingly good image, but in your heart, you know, I'm running from God. Okay, third big theme. God will have his way. See, theologians might say it like this. God is sovereign. And Jonah encounters this as he runs away. Because God sends a storm as he's running away to Tarshish on the boat. God sends a storm and the ship threatens to break up. It's in danger of breaking. 
And even when he says to the sailors, look, throw me aboard, this is my fault, it's almost as if that's another way of escaping God. If, if, you throw me, if I go in the water, there's no way I have to go to Nineveh. That's an extreme way of running from God. But God sends a fish because God is going to get Jonah to Nineveh and they will hear his word. God is sovereign. This is how one of the New Testament writers, um, Paul, uh, wants us to know that God is sovereign. This is Ephesians 1, chapter 11. In him we were also chosen, having having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Listen, if you're a Christian here this morning, it's not accident. It wasn't just simply your good idea. God is working out everything in world history so that his will will be done. And it will be done, including your life and your circumstances. You haven't caught him off guard. You haven't wrong-footed him. He hasn't just ended up with you by accident and he doesn't know what he's going to do. No, he sovereignly chose you and I in his grace and he's working out every aspect of our lives even for his glory and our good see the fact that God is sovereign gives us security it gives us comfort but it also gives us purpose see knowing that God is in control of all things doesn't make us just think well we don't have to do anything in my life God will do it all Actually, knowing that, receiving that, no, makes us say, do you know, I want to play my part in God's great mission and God's great plan. Because I can't lose. I can't lose. Because God's got everything sorted. He is sovereign. So, how does the story end? See, Jonah wants a God of his own making. A God who is merciful to who he wants God to be merciful to. And who delivers justice to the others. But he encounters the living God who is both merciful and just at the same time. How can this be? Well, to be honest, the book doesn't really answer that. In fact, the, the book ends in, in a, a seemingly odd kind of way. Jonah is having this argument with God and, and Jonah seems totally irrational. He's totally, he's fuming. Jonah was so annoyed that the Ninevites had turned from their ways that he, he goes and sits off at a distance. He takes himself off and sits there almost as if to say, do you know what? We'll just wait. Because you know what? They'll go back to their old race. You watch God. You shouldn't have shown mercy to them. They're gonna ch- they, they, won't, they won't keep it up. We really do see the heart of Jonah in this book. And God provides a plant to shelter him from the sun. But the next day, God sends a worm to eat the plant. And Jonah is livid. Is that, is that a good word to translate? Livid? I don't know how you translate. Angry! He's annoyed. And God says to him, Jonah, you seem to be more concerned about the 
plant than the people of Nineveh. Is that right? And Jonah's kind of like, yes, it is right, and I'm really angry. In fact, I wish I was dead. See, the answer to that question, how how can God be both merciful and just at the same time isn't found solely in the book of Jonah. The book book of Jonah is, as one church leader says, it's almost like uh, a chapter in God's great big story that moves the plot line on forward. And if you want to find the answer to that question, you have to realise that every Old Testament book is leading and pointing to all that Jesus said and did. See, Jesus is the true and greater Jonah. You might hear that over the next few weeks as we speak. uh, Jonah ran away from God's call, but Jesus was obedient to the call of God. Jonah was thrown into the sea to save the sailors, but Jesus was thrown into the sea of God's judgment to save us all. Jonah was swallowed by a fish and spent three days there until he was vomited up. Jesus was swallowed by death and for three days until he was raised gloriously to life. So this is what Paul again says about Jesus in in the New Testament. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it, get this, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, how can mercy and justice both be fulfilled, Paul's saying? It's by Jesus exchanging his righteousness for our sin. He pays the penalty for our sin and we receive the blessings of his righteous life. It's what we celebrated, isn't it, this morning as we took bread and grape juice. We're celebrating that he gave his life and in exchange we receive his righteous life. Listen, this book should lead us to find grace in Jesus. Is that you today? Because as we finish, and we're going to finish, and uh, we're going to sing, I think, uh, and worship. Um, But as we finish, I want us just to leave us here with a few challenges. Let me quote uh, American uh, writer and author Hannah Anderson on the book of Jonah. She says this, God patiently guides our halting steps as we move towards mercy, justice, and truth. He's patient with Jonah. He's patient with the Ninevites. He's patient with us. His mercy is so kind and so good that he extends it to human beings, even when we don't extend it to each other. And in so doing, makes us kind and good as well. Are you allowing yourself to see more and more the depths of his mercy, of his kindness, of his goodness 
that where you're moving in life as he patiently guides you? Or are you becoming blind to it? As we study this book of Jonah, why don't you ask God to keep revealing that to you? Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here this morning. Hey, why don't you stick around as we journey through this book of Jonah and look at the depths of God's mercy and kindness because he extends that to you this morning. And you can, even today, start that journey in exploring the depths of his kindness and mercy by saying, Jesus, I I want in. I want in. I want to receive you. I want to come into all the life that you have for me. I want to receive, I want to exchange my uh, sinful disobedience, uh, my running away from you. I want to exchange that for your righteousness and for your obedience. That can happen today in your life. And church, are we going to allow this message to affect the way we live and the places that we live? We're going to believe that God is merciful and compassionate to Teesside. Are we going to believe that? Are we going to show that in the things that we do, both already, but maybe in new things that God is birthing in us as a church? Are we going to believe that God wants to show his mercy and his compassion to Teesside? And are we going to believe that God wants to use us, as well as many other churches, across this region to display it. Why don't the band come up, if they can, and we're going to sing and worship, but let's come before God, as we've been doing all morning. We've been doing it in our worship, in our singing. We've been doing it as we came to break bread. We've done it as we've come to his word. Let's keep coming to him. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, the one who is all about. And Lord, I want to ask that as we journey through this book, as we journey through life together, as we live out being uh, the people that you've called us to be together, Lord, would you send your spirit and would he guide us and lead us into more and more seeing and delighting in your compassion and your mercy, both for us and for those around us. Lord, we don't want to, be, we don't want to become hard-hearted thinking that we're somehow, in some way, have worked things out for ourselves and attained a righteousness that's of our own. Lord, we don't want to be that. We want to be ones with very soft hearts that know we've rece- all we've done is receive the mercy and compassion you've extended to us. And we've explored its depths. And we've received it into our hearts. And so, Lord, as we do that, would that be the message we take to those around us who don't know you? That they might explore this great mercy and compassion, explore the great God that they can come to know. Jesus, you are wonderful. You are worthy. And we ask, would you 
change us to be more and more like you. And send us out into this world, into this place, into Teesside. Jesus. Amen.